Welcome to the discussion, Modern Authentication Strategies to Embrace Zero Trust, sponsored by Duo Security. Here's today's moderator, Jason Miller. My guest today is Brian Rosensteel, a cybersecurity architect for the public sector at Cisco's Duo Security. Brian, good to talk to you again. Yeah, pleasure as always. Thank you. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion. We've heard a lot about zero trust over the last year or so. At a recent Senate hearing, Krista Russia, the Federal Chief Information Security Officer, and Brandon Wales, the Acting Director of CISA, both mentioned the need to drive the adoption of these techniques and architectures around zero trust. DeRussia said OMB is leading agencies toward a zero trust paradigm. This means real-time authentication to test users, blocking suspicious activities, preventing adversaries from network hopping that we've seen time and again in major attacks. The key phrase that many overlook when we talk about zero trust is the testing of users. Employees must be central to the zero trust and all cybersecurity efforts. Agencies must help their employees understand why zero trust is important and deliver a user-friendly experience. Agency efforts to secure their networks and data are getting more complicated, so frustrating users may mean they may basically go around the tools that you put in place. Departments also must adapt their policies to address the user's needs, while also ensuring access to applications and data in a seamless and a consistent manner. So how can agencies improve their security, modernize their applications, and still be user-friendly? Well, that's where my guest comes in. Once again, Brian Rosensteel is a cybersecurity architect for the public sector at Cisco's Duo Security. So Brian, I want to begin with the simple question of end users. We hear a lot about agile and DevSecOps and we've got to get user-centered design. Security is not necessarily a, a place where you see a lot of involved the users discussion. Tell me why that's important. I mean, it, I think it's the, the, the critical point. Um, in, if your users don't want to use the technology, then it's going to be difficult to get them to, well, use it. And if they're not using it, then who cares how good it is, right? And then you can say, well, make sure that you know they don't have any choice. Um, I think my favorite tagline around that particular line of thinking was security is often inconvenient, too bad. And uh, you know, I'll admit, um, in one of my, my very first positions, um, you know, well over a decade ago, you know, helping to implement some of the FICAM solutions, I used to have that as a tagline in the email, you know, security is often inconvenient, too bad. And it was kind of our tagline, of, well, this is what we're doing. Um, but, you know, I come to realize that that's actually the opposite of, of how you want to approach these things. And I learned that, you know, various points, um, you know, in my engineering career, you know, there was one particular time where I was down uh, with, with an office with a, uh, one of the U.S. departments. And we were asking them, hey, what was going on? And, and it was uh, one of those offices that needed to reach out to retirees. And they had sensitive PII data, you know, nothing national secret. But we're still talking about social security numbers, things like that, that need to be protected. And they said sending an encrypted email um, was so difficult because the end users didn't have any way to decrypt that email uh, that they were sending things um, with personal Gmail accounts. I mean, that, that's an example of, hey, you made a system that has a lot of friction, is really difficult. I'm going to do this other thing and go around it. And we take the, um, the opposite approach to this. And we say, well, what happens when you, know, you enact a strategy that embraces, from a culture aspect, the, um, the organization, the employees that fall in, in I think one of the, the, the proudest moments that I had, you know, I'm a little nerdy with all the authentication and stuff like that. Um, but we were, you know, it was with um, a different particular uh, point of the, the federal government. And we were dealing with really difficult use cases. Um, we were dealing with um, kind of secure manufacturing in, in environments where if you had to clean a, a PIV card, um, you would actually destroy it after about like six cleanings. Uh, you know, the sterilization requirements were so strict. And so we enacted this, this new type of technology. It was actually kind of built around the Derived Credential Initiative, mobile authenticators to be able to securely authenticate into a, a workstation in this manufacturing environment. And slowly but surely, we started having a crowd kind of gather around us. 
because everyone wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to be secure. They, they understood the danger of just reusing username and password in these environments. But it was so onerous the way it was before that everyone was like, fine, we're just going to do, do things in this other way. Once we showed them, hey, look, here's how you can embrace technology and it can be easy. All of a sudden they were lining up, you know, sign me up next, sign me up next, sign me up next. Um, that, that's one of the, the, the best feelings when you can see a, a end user going off and showing off the technology saying, hey, look what I can do. And then the next thing they say is, oh, wow, how do I get that? That's how you know that your security rollout is going to be successful and that you're going to be able to help mitigate those types of, um, I, I guess, uh, circumventing of, of your system. It's one of those things that just seems so simple, right? Just show the, the, how easy it can be and then people want to get into it. I want to go back to the two really good examples. When the one agency was sending encrypted email, was it that they just didn't ask the user what they wanted or how it worked? Was it just a lack of understanding or was some security person said, well, this is PII encrypt all email and no one ever asked the next question. Why did it end up this way? Well, it was even worse than that. Um, it, it actually came down to, you know, one PIV, one person who's PIV eligible, who's not PIV eligible. So, you know, when I talk to, and, and, and I ask, I, they, they have me come in kind of as a, as a consultant and say, um, hey, figure out what's going on, what we can do. And, and one of the things is that we need to talk to the people that are responsible for doing this. And they're like, you know, I really want to, but they're a retiree. They don't have a smart card. And I can't, you know, we, we could get them one, but they're not going to come into an office to go through the identity proofing process. And like, I just need to know, you know, that everything is going well with, uh, with my benefits. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't know what to do. It, it's kind of the response that came back. And, and that's when we're like, okay, we've got to find a better system because our policies are built around very specific, very concrete use cases. The flexibility just isn't there. Now we're seeing that change. We're seeing a lot more flexibility coming in. I mean, I always tell people, hey, this, the last you know, few years in, in the, the federal identity kind of community have been uh, among the most excited. And exciting is a word that a lot of people and, and I can't may not associate, but again, I'm one of those weird people. Um, we're seeing so many different changes coming in and, and, and uh, a lot of the best practices that we've been kind of you know screaming from the mountaintop for, for a while coming directly into not only guidance from this, but also policy. Uh, and we're seeing everything moving in, in the right direction. So yeah, a lot of it was just simply, we couldn't get the authenticators necessary to be able to keep that transaction secure. Um, so because you still had the, the mission need of getting the job done, they just figured out how they could do it without necessarily having to go through the official network um, that was set up for them. You know, so, so the, the ultimately the intended solution was to figure out how you can create a credential that is still secure, but doesn't fall into um, that, that problem of, you know, Alice and Bob needing to trade keys, you know, that, that old PK out of story. And I, and I feel like we were successful with, with that endeavor, but you know, it's always disheartening when you hear people saying, yeah, I'd like to do the right thing, but it's too hard. A lot of people have been asking for what's the killer app for identity and credential management. Unfortunately, I think it was the pandemic. I mean, it was, you saw <laughs> the, the digital signatures all of a sudden people go, oh, I didn't realize we had that or how it worked. And I can't get a wet signature anymore because we're not in the office together. So I, I'll have to accept the digital signature. And, and I think this kind of comes around to this, this idea of managed security, because that's also going to play a role because that's going to help you as the agency move toward to take some of those challenges out, 
because you're managing it. You, you have someone else really understanding the user and kind of bringing the pieces together. Talk, talk a little bit about that, the role of managed security as it kind of builds into that user experience. No, absolutely. You know, one of the things that, um, that we always used to say, you know, again, this is back when I was, you know, directly on site and, and helping out a couple of departments is um, we didn't care about what degree an individual had coming out of at a university. Um, you know, we, we didn't care what certifications they had. It was, we knew that uh, federal identity was so niche that we just needed a smart person that we could teach. And I bring that up because the, the reality is, is that we've got a critical shortage of, you know, qualified individuals who, who have the understanding of all the different pieces, not just, not just the actual technology itself, but the policy involved and how that relates and the challenges in, in being able to implement that across, you know, all these, these diverse spaces. So what that means is everyone just doing it on their own and their own solution, it's just not viable. We just don't have the, the qualified personnel to do it. And that's why shared services, that's why um, cloud service providers I think are so critical. Because when we say this, look, we can, we can centralize the uh, you know, kind of security and um, the, the personnel and the expertise, and then you can work with us and be able to easily deploy that. And oh, by the way, because we're gonna reduce a lot of that administrative overhead on you, you're not gonna have to worry about actually managing the data centers, you're not gonna have to worry about um, all of the backend uplift. That frees up some of your administrators to be able to go off and work on other tasks. And that's the key too, being able to do more with the few resources that you have. Um, no one has ever said, yeah, I've got too many IT people and they don't have anything to do. It's always the opposite. So I think that's the, the, the thing that's so critical is how do we reduce that friction um, to enable people, one, that, that security, but two, do it in a way with the resources that they have. Um, and, and, you know, I use that term shared service provider, cloud service providers. Um, we've only seen that the, the percentage of authenticators uh, being issued from those services increase. It's certainly not going away. And it's something that as we move towards the future, I think it's going to become more and more critical. These um, kind of unique uh, systems being set up by individual agencies, I think it's only going to be further reduced. When you talk about managed services or managed security services, it comes to mind, well, what does that really mean? How do you define it? Because I think a lot of times people think, well, I'll just outsource it. And we know it's not a full outsource, but people think, well, I'll just let Brian take care of it and I, I can focus on other things. Let's maybe define, put a little finer point on what you mean by managed security services. No, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting, you know, because you talk about outsourcing. I never exactly like that term because, um, you know, people think, well, outsourcing security, well, I'm just leaving myself vulnerable and someone else handles everything for me. That's not necessarily the case. And when we when we think about, what it is that that we're actually providing? So let's pick on um, let's let's pick on Cisco, right? You know, we you know the, the product that I help to support, Duo, and and um, it's a cloud hosted offering, FedRAMP, um, that you can leverage for your authenticators and for your authentication. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's your that's your entire portfolio. What it is is we're saying, look, let us handle all of those tasks uh, required in order to have uh, a secure environment. Um, where those authenticators are going to be able to be validated. Um, let us worry about the integrations, doing all of that work across the industry and the partnerships required in order to make sure that you know this thing really um, plugs and plays, right? It has a lot of interoperability with it. Uh, so that required, I mean, that, that's a full-time 
you know, uh, occupation, right? Segment of Cisco is designed just for that. Um, versus, you know, think about it if, if you had to create your own custom environment and set that up and have to do all those things, you're going to need a much larger team to be able to, to complete that successfully. So all we're doing is really reducing the amount of effort needed by an agency, but we're not necessarily taking over their data. In fact, we don't see their data. What they basically do is just say, okay, let's leverage this service and bring it in and plug it in where it makes sense. Um, you know, same thing with, with the authenticators, right? The authenticator that you're gonna leverage from us isn't your identity. Your identity is still your identity proofing process. You're still gonna go through those pieces. All you're doing is just making sure that you can gain access to that with a lot less overhead and administrative burden to do so. So in the end, I think to kind of bring it back, you haven't really outsourced your security. You've just enabled more capability with um, the, the security that you have that you're implementing by, by leveraging kind of an economy of scale, if you will. You know, we're going to specialize in this one piece, um, you know, and you're going to just take that, bring it in and be able to be off to the races. I think that's a really key point because I think people sometimes think about, well, I don't think anyone ever says, I'm just going to kind of wash my hands of it and be done, right? But but when you think about managed security services, you're thinking, how much do I really have to do? And a lot of this comes back to, as you said, creating that secure environment, handling a lot of the administrative tasks, and then worrying about the, the higher level work in, in many ways. And, and where does the user fit in? Just briefly, because we're about to take a quick break. Is the user, does that when, when the agency worries about the user at that point, because they can free up time or is it, or do you worry about the user too, as part of that managed security? I mean, I'm always thinking about, about the end user, right? I mean, in, here at Duo, we always talk about Gary. We always talk about Lee, Lee being, you know, that person on the keyboard who has to do their job, end user. Um, Gary is, is the administrator who has to make sure that Lee can do their job. You know, we're always trying to make sure that, that we think of, hey, how we're implementing this. Is this going to cause more friction? Um, is this going to cause more issues than what it, it's, it's looking to solve? Um, so, so yeah, you know, I think about a lot from, obviously from the administrator side too, from my background, um, I, I always think about, Hey, we can actually reduce so many of those auditing requirements. Um, I think about my time dealing with, you know, cryptographic cages where we, you know, you have to stand up these authenticators in secure environments and the audits, you know, take several days out of, you know, my busy schedule to literally go and watch an auditor lift up floorboards and make sure there's a physical security cage. Okay, I have to stay with you and let's walk through the data center and go and look at the banks of batteries, right? Taking that away allows an organization to be able to focus on, hey, are our end users having any issues? And if they are, then they can call us up and say, we're having a lot of weird problems with, you know, enrolling this type of phone. Um, and say, okay, well, let us look into that and let us work on that for you. Um, so I, I think hopefully, in the end, it's a better experience. And that's the feedback that we've gotten. All right. And it's good news. When it's a better experience, you get better results. Brian, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we can continue our conversation, move into the zero trust discussion. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Authentication Strategies to Embrace Zero Trust, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Network. Modernize your security with strong authentication from Duo. Security and IT modernization don't have to be complicated. In fact, Duo Security eliminates a lot of complexity to ensure only trusted users and secure devices have access to your agency's critical applications and data. Duo offers two FedRAMP authorized FIPS compliant editions of our cloud-based authentication and device visibility that ensure your organization meets strict security and compliance requirements. It's modern authentication for the modern workforce. Try Duo free at Duo.com. 
Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion, Modern Authentication Strategies to Embrace Zero Trust, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Brian Rosensteel, a cybersecurity architect for the public sector at Cisco's Duo Security. Brian, we talked a lot about managed security services, the user experience. Let's jump into the Zero Trust discussion. Where does Zero Trust fit into this entire conversation? Because again, if you don't have good user experience, Zero Trust doesn't work very well or, or can, can not work as well as it could. Yeah, um, so this is where it gets it's where it gets interesting, right? Because you know, previous discussion we talked about how important it is to embrace uh, users, embrace the culture. Um, best thing is when everyone's running around and saying, "Hey, look, this is so great." And and the idea here is that you know it's always transparent to the user what's actually going on behind the scenes. Now, on the flip side of this, um, we can't trust a single one of them. Um, in fact, you shouldn't. That that's the idea of zero trust is that you know we should never have base level assumptions uh, that everything is. Um, going as it should. Instead, what we need to do, we're still going to trust, we'll hit the verify, and we're going to verify again, and then verify a couple more times, and make sure that we're still verifying after we verify. That's the kind of idea and the mentality that you have to go into it. And so when we think about that again, put the lens back on to, to authentication, uh, which is near and dear to my heart, and we say, okay, that user, it, we have to, to validate not only that they are who they say they are, through the use of strong authenticators, but we also have to make sure that the way in which they're authenticating is something that is trustworthy. Uh, that, that was a lot easier a few years ago when everyone was confined in the same brick buildings. Um, that's a lot harder today. You know, that, that's, uh, we, we knew we were going this direction. We knew this was important. Um, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, someone hit the, uh, hit the gas and, and we went into it, you know, at 200 miles an hour. And everyone said, okay, how do we actually now make sure that we still have a handle on what is interacting in our environment? And what does identity mean anyway? I think, I think it was the biggest lesson of last year's actually relearning what identity always was, but uh, what it actually meant with uh, with the modern world and modern networks and, and the way that people are connecting. And it goes back to something I'll, I'll hit upon that I think you said earlier is about kind of understanding where this where the user fits in. And, and when everyone started to do remote working, all of a sudden they logged on from home with their own Wi-Fi network and maybe even their own computer or a laptop that the agency gave them, but because they weren't inside the bubble of the network or the protections, then the user became the center, if you will, of that cybersecurity. Is that why you think Zero Trust is getting so much more discussion and agencies are starting to, okay, we heard from OMB and CISA just recently at the Senate hearing that I mentioned how it's a new Zero Trust paradigm, whatever that's gonna mean eventually. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing it across, you know, not just from them. Um, NSA released guidance around Zero Trust. I mean, Zero Trust is bubbling up everywhere. And I think what it was is because people realize so we always thought about end users and we always thought about identity. And when you say end user, user, user identity, you always think of the person, um, right? Hey, my driver's license, driver's license has my, my picture on it. I am who I say I am. Okay, I'm trustworthy, let's proceed. Um, but Zero Trust looks at it from an end entity. And an entity is different than just the person. An entity is kind of um, a more holistic view of identity. It's all the different components that go into the authentication. In fact, who I am from a digital identity perspective literally changes uh, based upon time of day, based upon um, even on the same workstation. On the same workstation, I can present very different security challenges, right? If I'm trying to log in with Internet Explorer and I've got Flash enabled, that's a very different security concern than if I'm coming in with a different browser that is automatically blocking those things. We need to be checking for those. That is a part of who I am because this is a part of how I'm engaging and interacting with network resources and data and all of those different components and pieces. Um, that's what identity actually is. It always has been. We just took a lot of things for granted because we had a lot more control. 
that control was always shifting with globalization, with um, more and more different interconnected systems, with uh, you know less reliance upon physical perimeter security. But um, now with the rise of telework, which you know in many ways is just here to stay permanently, um, it is forever shifting. And you know even the concept of issuing people a laptop and a phone um, is in question. Right, and the idea of a, a fully managed devices for all of your endpoints, we can only take that for granted. In fact, you never really should. You know, maybe you still have managed uh, devices, but you need to make sure that you have checks involved to make sure that only managed devices are actually authenticating. And again, go back to the example of um, the, the the worker that I was I was talking with spoke about earlier. He said, "Yeah, I'm using my personal Gmail account." You know, there are ways of interacting with systems that you may not have thought about. So, you know, what you need to do is where it makes sense, authentication is one of them, be checking for every possible type of, of connection, or, or at least in a way that makes sense. And, and only through doing that through these kind of central channels are you going to have, I think, the best chance for, for success in, in such a complex and diverse world that you find yourself in. A lot of agencies are heading down the path of zero trust. Uh, the Continuous Diagnostics Mitigation Program is one example, is providing a lot of those tools, those pieces that put, that create that zero trust architecture. What's the current state for many agencies? How are they uh, creating that zero trust environment? And then and then how, how can they move forward? Yeah, I think a lot of it is understanding, um, and I've said it before, but you know, people realize the strength of your authenticator doesn't equate to the strength of your authentication. Um, you know, we do. We have incredibly strong authenticators, right? You know, I'll, I'll pick on the, the PIV and the CAT because they're near and dear to my heart. And, um, you know, I always tell people, you know, the, the, the core crypto behind it, uh, if you try to brute force it, a lot of the stars that are currently shining in the sky will burn out before you're able to do it. I mean, talk about a strong authenticator. But what does it actually tell you when you authenticate? Well, it tells you that you have the authenticator. It's proof of possession. That's as far as it goes. Um, and that's all of our authenticators, really. I, don't, I can't really think of one authenticator by itself that is going to be able to tell us so much more that we need to know the whether or not to validate that authentication. Instead, dynamic policy authentication engines are what are able to do that. So what we have to do is we have to enhance our current authenticators. Now, the other thing that this does too is because we're going to start putting in kind of this these policy enforcement and policy discovery, device discovery uh, pieces with in line within the workflow of our authentication, some really interesting things come as a result. So I always liken authentication to going over a bridge. Um, you know, on the other side of the bridge is your whatever it may be. Maybe it's a data lake, maybe it's an application, um, whatever task that that user needs to get to. Now, to get to the bridge, they could have come from any different direction, right? And they can arrive at any different type of state to be able to do it. They still have to walk across that bridge. They still have to cross that bridge. So we can do as much discovery during that authentication workflow. Uh, as possible, then we can get quality data as to what's actually coming in. So this goes back to kind of your mention of CDM. Um, CDM, one of the phases is, is who is on the network. That question of who is a lot more expensive than what you know, we, we previously thought as, as we've discussed. Now I could go out and pull, let's say 400,000 devices and get a device security posture across 400,000 devices and then try to say, well, that's my perimeter or I could actually do my data discovery with every single uh, user and entity, you know, holistic view of identity that is authenticating into that resource. And over a period of time, I will actually know how many of those 400,000 are actually authenticating in and what the security profile is like when they're doing the authentication. So now, rather than trying to understand a field of haystacks and the data that lies within, we've really targeted down and narrowed down and have quality data that we can start analyzing. 
And I think that's what people are striving towards. I think they're looking at what are what doesn't change in distributed kind of pruners that we find ourselves in. Where are the commonalities? And that's where we need to focus our, our policy engines and our, our discovery. In many ways, it's protecting what's most valuable. It's understanding the data behind it. So, so we need this to make this mission work well. And if we don't have this data or if this data gets compromised in some way, that really impacts the mission. And then it's also, we've talked a lot about the high value assets piece and it's a term OMB uses quite often, but what, what, are, what, what is it, what systems, what networks, what data are, are central to your agency that you can't live without? So, so I think agencies have done a pretty good job of discovering that. Is the next step the roles and responsibilities around it? Brian can see this data, but Brian can't touch the can't you know uh, change the data, or Brian can can see the data and touch the data, or maybe Brian can't see anything. Is that the next step where agencies are heading? Yeah, exactly. It's it's a journey. Um, the journey is going to be different for for every uh, organization, every uh, agency, every federal department that's out there, right? Um, we're all at some sort of semblance. You know, it kind of starts with, hey, let's get multi-factor authentication across all accounts. I say all accounts, it includes things like privileged admin accounts. It sounds silly, but we know there are still things like shared admin accounts that are out there, right? Shared admin accounts don't really work well with, with uh, smart cards, um, and yet they still exist. Well, let's put multi-factor on those. It actually can be done, and you can do it in a way where you still have identity assurance and identity binding per an individual. Maybe you don't have it in the primary authenticator username and password, because you know it, I know it, dozen other people know it. But we can absolutely make sure that each one of us only has one authenticator assigned so that we still have a login to know, hey, administrator Brian logged into this system at this particular time using this shared account. Um, so it, it's kind of, I, I call it kind of going back to basics, understanding where are you as an organization in this zero trust journey? And then once you kind of have a base level set, and to your point, you start figuring out, okay, the next step on this journey is going to be around, hey, maybe Brian shouldn't be able to log into everything. Maybe we need to restrict some of those. Um, real world example of that is, hey, Brian has a domain admin account. The only thing he should be able to log into is a domain controller. How are we mitigating that today? We can't rely on Active Directory because Brian has the ability of modifying Active Directory. So maybe we need to be doing this through a separate control and uh, it, in, in do things that way, right? So you start realizing what, um, where you're at, what is the, where you want to go and what capabilities are currently in play uh, for you to be able to get there. And then where you find those gaps, that allows you to kind of target and enhance your environment. So what we're not talking about is a rip and replace strategy for zero trust, it's quite the opposite. It's enhance what you have. Everyone is already on the journey towards zero trust. You know, one of the things that always, kind of a pet peeve is, is when people say, well, no one in the federal government's implemented zero trust. Well, it's not a thing that you can go out and buy and put in. It's a strategy. Everyone in the federal government has already implemented eight, uh, at least some semblance of zero trust. They're all on the journey. We've been on that journey since the very first passwords got implemented way back when, you know, decades and decades ago. Now what it's about is making sure that we enhance existing environments in a meaningful way um, and in a way that doesn't result in lots of decentralization of administrative controls that end up becoming a nightmare to manage. Instead, let's centralize a lot of these policies together and, and do more with what we have from a, a manpower, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, um, an administrative power standpoint and, uh, and, and take advantage of that moving forward. 
Brian, there's so much more to talk to you. Unfortunately, we are out of time for today. So let me thank my guest. Brian Rosensteel is a cybersecurity architect for the public sector at Cisco's Duo Security. Brian, thank you so much for the time. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion, Modern Authentication Strategies to Embrace Zero Trust, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Duo Security. Thank you for listening to the discussion, Modern Authentication Strategies to Embrace Zero Trust, sponsored by Duo Security on Federal News Network.